Hello and welcome to another Saturday Quarren stream. I'm your host, of course, Joe Magician, and today I'll be talking about the greatest castle that absolutely nobody in Westeros wants, the mighty fortress of Harrenhal, or maybe better named Heron's Folly. The castle, which was destroyed in one night by Aegon the Conqueror astride Balerion the Brat Black Dread, has limped on through the centuries. In those 300 years, 10 different houses have held Harrenhal often to their own doom and giving the Burn Castle a reputation as cursed. Ooh, spooky. Very spooky, spooky curses. But is there really a curse, though? Are the old guys exacting some kind of revenge on Heron and all those who walk in his halls for centuries afterwards? Perhaps. And today we'll be exploring the history of the castle, the cursed, and what the future holds for Heron Hall on the God's Eye. And let's do some, uh, do some normal pluggy things, you know, all the things. Like, subscribe if this is your first time here. Uh, slamming the like button will get me to wear silly hats. I got the Gurm one right here. I got the Gandalf hat over here. Uh, 150, I'll put on the Gandalf hat. Let's say 175 again, put on the Gurm hat. Um, although somebody had an interesting suggestion that if I get to 200, I put on the Gandalf hat again. So, yeah, sure, we'll go with that. That seems like a cool idea. Um, if you're listening back on the audio podcast, which is what I do, I put it up on the Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. So if you don't have two hours to sit down and watch this face talk, you can always listen on audio. Um, Leave a review if you're listening on iTunes or wherever else you end. It re really helps with the, all the algorithms and stuff. And uh, one thing I want to mention is that the patron-only episode has been written. It's finished. I just have to record it. Um, so that should be coming out relatively soon. And that is on, of course, the absolute worst story George R. R. Martin has ever written, Meat House Man. It's bad, it's real bad, but how it's bad is like really like morbidly interesting and like seeing his journey as a writer is something that I kind of enjoyed. Um, oh, by the way, nice shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing a Westerosi Bar Association from the Learning Hands podcast. Uh, they launched their merch store recently with all the proceeds going to, uh, to charity. And yeah, I picked up this one. I also picked up a tank top, which I'm not wearing because I'm not going to show off my guns. Uh, yeah, that's Learned Hand Clint and um, Maester Mary. If you haven't listened to them, they were also on the Wyman, uh, the Wyman Manderly episode, uh, like um, a couple months back at this point, I think so. I uh, would love to hear Matt's take on Fever Train. You know, uh, Muzzy, that is kind of my plan. I was thinking about making all the Patreon only episodes or a lot of them looking at George's different other works. Um, giving them an analysis, um, maybe a, like a, a read through kind of thing. I don't know. It's <laughs> see what the interest is, see what people think of the meat house man episode. If you're a patron, by the way, I put up a post, uh, yesterday or the day before, I think it was yesterday, um, announcing that the meat house man is coming. And if you haven't read it yet, um, you can find it on the internet, um, pretty easily. The full text is out there. But you can all, if you own Dream Songs, the, actually, mine's over here. <laughs> I just went to go look for it, and it's sitting on my desk. 
Uh, yeah. Why is Meat Man bad? Well, you have to listen to find out exactly why how bad it is. Why how bad? That doesn't sound like good English to me, but that's what we're going with. So yeah, uh, look for that in the coming week. Um, probably look at some of some of his less awful stories <laughs> in the future uh, for patron only stuff. Obviously, also, if you sign up for Patreon, you get access to patron only Slack where um, a lot of these cool folks you see in the chat right now hang out during the day um, talking about hurricanes and all this, all the weird stuff that's coming. Actually, one of my recent patrons, uh, Amy Blackfire, uh, who shows up on a bunch of other content and is doing Chinese symbolism essays. I convinced her to try and read Meat House Man last night. <laughs> I think it traumatized her. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, definite trigger warning on that one. And of course, uh, super chats and whatnot uh, as we're going through or super stickers, whatever. You can also, um, if you feel like not giving YouTube a cut, you can send it to PayPal. Um, let me see. Let me get the link. I have it somewhere. I should probably just put it in the description because I end up having to search it out every time. I'm like, what is actually my PayPal link? Um, I didn't traumatize her. That is George's fault. There we go. So if you want to send stuff through PayPal, I already got one from uh, Ramona Z, the my Seneschal level patron. Um, Ten dollars from her for a nice <laughs> Heron Hall surprise stream. Yeah, it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, I wasn't sure about it when I was I have a big list of topics I want to cover. And like the problem with like picking one is they're all some of them I want to turn into videos, but I also want to stream about them. And it's like a weird tension of all that other kind of stuff. Oh, uh, a PayPal donation from Danny McKay sent uh, $5. He says, Heron Hall, I can dig it. Thanks again so much, uh, Danny McKay. And a super sticker from San Rixi. And she sends me the sandwich, a hot dog, uh, $1.49. Thanks so much, San Rixi. You guys are super generous. Um, yeah, so... That's what's coming up, and also there's going to be a um, videos coming up. The what is the five year gap? Who is the tattered prince? Look more at Ari and Bravos, that kind of stuff. Um, whole list of ideas I have written down. I just gotta, you know, I just gotta finish them. I wanted to get out the Mead House Man one first, so that will be coming up soon. All right, so let's go into the very strange, morbid, maybe cursed history of Heron Hall. And that is, let's start off with this quote here, because a lot of the information we actually get about Heron Hall comes from Catelyn. Um, she's kind of an exposition machine in a lot of uh, her early chapters in A Song of Ice and Fire as they're traveling through the Riverland. She's like, oh, that's Old Stones. Here's all its history. Oh, that's Heron Hall. Here's all its history. Oh, there's Starks in the Vale. Here's, all, here's that genealogy. George uses her in a really interesting way that um, for communicating information, also telling us that she's extremely well-learned as a character. But here's the quote I wanted to start off with. <clears throat> Catelyn could remember old Nan telling the story to her own children back at Winterfell, and King Heron learned that thick walls and high towers are small use against dragons. The tale always ended, for dragons fly. Harrenal and all his line had perished in the fires that engulfed his monstrous fortress, and every house that held Harrenal since had come to misfortune. 
strong it might be, but it was a dark place. And cursed. Ooh, spook. Mad spooks. Lots of spooks. Um, <laughs> Bernie wants a spinoff series of the Turning and Heron and in, in the Crossroads sitcom. That would actually be pretty great. I would like to see that too. So I think it's important that we look back at where Heron Hall is, the history, why it was built. And I think by looking at these things, we can start to understand what the curse of Heron Hall really is. I'm going to give you a spoiler. I don't, I don't really think there is a curse, but you know, we'll go down this journey together. So the first thing is that where it's built. Um, Heron Hall is built on the shores of the God Eye, God's Eye Lake, a place where there were no castles and there were no towns. It's, it's centered around the Isle of Faces, and it seems that the Riverlanders for thousands of years sort of had this understanding that you don't build anything around the Isle of Faces. This is a, the Isle of Faces, if you're not aware, other than being an awesome podcast hosted by Joe Buckley, it's also a the Isle in the center of the God's Eye with the Weirwood Grove, the very famous Weirwood Grove, where the first men and the children of the forest uh, sealed their pact, ending the war between them. And you also get stories about the Isle of Faces that are very strange and spooky even before Heron Hall shows up. Um, I mean, obviously, the, most of the Riverlands has converted to the Faith of the Seven for thousands of years at this point, but still there's this, there's this fear of the Isle of Faces and the God's Eye. And we learn through the histories that supposedly it's um, protected by this strange order of the green men who live on the island and chase off anybody trying to get there. But we also hear more supernatural stories. We hear that when uh, people try to sail to Harrenhal, all of a sudden these really stiff breezes come up and push the boats away. And they get really close, flocks of ravens erupt from the weirwoods and start attacking everybody trying to um, trying to attack anybody that wants to land on the shore. So that's kind of strange. Uh, this is, of course, an allusion to Bloodraven. We see him do this north of the wall when Sam is running away with uh, with Gilly from Crasher's Keep. He sends a flock of ravens along with um, along with cold hands to protect them. So this is telling you, George is telling us through these connections that the children of the forest, the ancient order, the green men probably is just children of the forest that still live there. Um, we know that they mostly live underground. They live in cave structures. They live um, in like Blood Raven's cave. Like, like we know that's the, that's probably what's, there may be a green senior colony still existing under the island. Maybe a cave structure that goes deep underground because we also know that uh, the God's Eye Lake is extremely deep. So in order for, if you think about it as like a large bowl, in order for there to be an island in the middle, it's almost it's almost like a mountain coming up in the middle of it. So you can imagine that perhaps filled throughout that is catacombs and green seer caves. And, you know, we still see them in Blood Raven's cave, which is. Um, I think that would make a lot of sense, especially if they've been cut off and this is such a holy place that like, yeah, the children of the forest would protect their place just like we see in others. Um, 
Although it does raise the question, if they are there, why did Bloodraven have to go so far north of the wall? Um, it may be that the green men and the children used to be there and are no longer. Or it's only protected via skin changing. Wait, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Unicorns and Skagos? What? What's, what's going on in the chat? What are you guys doing? Yeah, Flint and Steel, like a mountaintop that's flooded, um, underwater caves, tunnels, maybe it flooded at some point and there's no longer anybody there. That This is totally possible for an explanation. We also see at places like High Heart, Cashley Rock, which was also a former Children of the Foreign Fortress. I mean, Children of the Forest Fortress. Wow, that's a weird way to say that. Um, they lived in the caves there. Winterfell seemingly is built on top of a weirwood, I mean, of a um, Children of the Forest cave structure, the rainwood in the Stormlands, Blood Raven's Cave, the, gro the Grove North of the Wall, which, by the way, is on top of Gorn's Way. I'm not sure I've heard anybody talk about this, but it's there's definitely an idea that Gorn's Way could essentially be the ruins of, like, the biggest children in the forest city that got cleaned out. And, um, because they, they love these caves. They're cave people. That's what they do. Um, so it'd be interesting if the Black Gate and also the grove north of the wall where John goes to swear his vows is like the lingering presence of the children. And I, I would guess that's probably what's under the God's eye, what's under the Isle of Faces and why they swore it there. Yeah, Hammer of Waters, it's very much a holy place that even though, like I said, no one in the Riverlands except for really the Blackwoods, and although it's hinted at that there are a few other old god worshippers, everyone still has this idea around the Isle of Faces that like, it's very spooky, nobody goes there. Um, and there's a weird detail we get from the World of Ice and Fire that the Andals during their invasion, even though they took basically all the Riverlands, they tried to take the Isle of Faces and were somehow repelled. There's no detail on how that happened. There's no, don't really know why they failed at it. There's no castles nearby to defend it. There's no towns. Surely they could all just get on boats and go towards it. Maybe there was some kind of um, mystical shit going on that stopped them. But they were pretty serious about cutting down all the weirds they could find. And for some reason, they could not make it to the Isle of Faces. Very interesting. Ah. And like I was saying, long before Heron built his cursed castle, it's a cursed area. And since we know the children of the forest tend to use these kind of like dream manipulations, their skin changing powers, animals to keep people away from spots they feel important. That's probably what is the genesis of why this area is seen as spooky and sacred and nobody goes near it. You wouldn't really want to go near a place where there's like a flock of ravens that pecks out your head everywhere you go by, or if maybe throughout history there have been settlements near the god's eye that always seem to fail in weird ways. I do like this detail though from George that when we're talking about like where this curse come from, it's kind of like inherited. Oh my god, you guys are still going with this. <laughs> Skagosi Love Island. <laughs> Uh, hey Alicia Kingston, glad you could join us talking about Harrenhal. Um, so it's also important to understand Harrenhal and the God's Eye in terms of 
the Riverlands themselves, because what we think of the Riverlands has changed a lot over time. So, for instance, when you think about Dorne in the north, those have been largely static kingdoms for quite a long time. Dorne holds basically everything south of the marshes, even though that the borders have changed a little bit over time. The north holds everything north of the neck. But the Riverlands has always been in flux, depending on um, the time frame, the Andal invasions, who's ruling it. So they're, at different times within the Riverlands, they have been kings of the Trident, which mostly just ruled the Trident. So from Derry up to um, the Westerlands and also up to the Neck. But there's also been the kings of the rivers, kings of the rivers and hills, kings of the Riverlands. And there were times when they there was no Riverlands, that they were conquered entirely. Also, important to point out here, the Crownlands did not exist. These were not, this isn't like something that happened throughout Westerosi history. The crown lands were made up by Aegon the Conqueror as he landed on Blackwater Rush so that he would have kind of his own direct vassals and incomes around King's Landing. Um, at different times, the Riverlands extended all the way from the neck to Crackclaw Point and Blackwater Rush and sometimes Massey's Hook, depending on which ruler the king of the uh, Riverlands we're talking about. Oh yeah, slam that like button, you guys. 120 people watching, slam it. Just absolutely hit it as hard as you can. Also, there was something that, that's been happening recently that I thought was really interesting. A few people have been taking pictures of where they're watching my streams from. Um, I forget her name, but one, one woman uh, essentially goes hiking while she listens to me. I also get tagged on Instagram. Um, actually, there may be one right now. Oh no, not yet. Um, I guess she watches from out in her garden. It's very, very awesome. So if you have those kind of things, you know, take pictures, tag me on Twitter. I would love to see it. Oh, yes. Egret Targaryen. There you are out in Aspen. So that'd be kind of fun. Tag me on Twitter or Instagram if you do. Um, so yeah, back to back to Harrenhal. So the last Kings of the Rivers and the Trident was House Teague. And they got absolutely destroyed by House Durandon during their amazing expansion out of the Stormlands. And the kingdom that came out of this was the unmanageably big, basically. House Durandon ruled from the Stormlands, the Riverlands, the Crownlands. All of it was the was House Durandon. That's it. So if you think about it on a map, it's like just this huge arm of land that is held by the Storm Kings. And that pissed quite a lot of people off. Um, Tide Die Granny, that's right. That's it, Sandrixian. Thank you so much. Um, the Riverlanders were really unhappy about being ruled from Storm's End. Um, and part of the reason is that throughout history, most of the great Storm of the great uh, Riverlander houses had been kings of the rivers, and they all kind of fought against each other. And there wasn't like a long term ruler like you see from the Lannisters or the Starks where the kings of the river changed quite a bit. But the Stormlanders essentially. Like got rid of that. They're like, no more. We're just going to rule it. Our rule it ourselves. They didn't like that. Um, but the Ironborn of all people. <laughs> 
uh, said they would help. Oh, apparently Yoke Play watches from underground caverns. Oh, no, most people are watching from underground caverns. Yeah, a lot of green seers in the chat at the moment. Um, House Whore of the Iron Islands and Harwin Whore, later known as Harwin Hardhand. That is a tongue twister, George. How dare you do this to us? Went to the Riverlanders and said, I'm going to help you guys get rid of these storm kings. We're going to take back the Riverlands. You guys can be free and independent again. And all the river lords were like, wow, this is great. This is absolutely what I want to do. Sure, let's go for it. Didn't go that well um, for the Riverlanders, but it went great for Harwin Hardhand. He declared himself the kings of isles and rivers and essentially just took the Riverlands for himself, gave the finger to all the river lords and took it back. He ruled actually from somewhere not really that impressive, but that is um, Fair Market on the Blue Fork. He essentially ruled from this like weird little tower and the rationale kind of makes sense. The Blue Fork is the closest to Iron Man Bay and the Iron Isles. At times it may have been even connected to Iron Man Bay. It's pretty close. Um, it's a convenient escape path. We learned from Asha Greyjoy in A Song of Ice and Fire that the Ironborn have this long-term strategy of never going that far from their lands or from the water, basically, because it always gives them a convenient retreat path. They get attacked. They can always get on their long boats and just get out of there. Yeah, Alicia Kings, they should have known not to trust the Ironborn. They should have known, but they were greedy and for some reason thought the Ironborn wouldn't betray them. Of course they did. So yeah, they ruled from Fair Market, and then his son, Halicor, extends the territory all the way to Duskendale and Rosby and the Blackwater Rush. But he kind of stumbles a little bit. He did not end up, he launched attacks on the Westerlands. He attacked, he launched attacks on the Vale and completely face planted on both of those wars. So the Iron Islands at this point controls most of the Riverlands all the way to the Blackwater Rush and they control the Iron Islands, but they've sort of hit a, a wall. They can't go west. They can't go north. They're not going against the Storm Kings because it's way too far away for them to try from their seat of power. And that's kind of where we pick up with Heron Hor, Heron the Black as he is known. He decides that this little crappy tower in Fair Market on the Blue Fork is not an awesome place to hang out. That it's not really this... It's not like a holding that is equal to his power, equal to his wealth at this point, because he was extremely wealthy um, from ruling both of these kingdoms. So he decides he's going to build a new seat of power and he chooses the God's Eye. And it, it makes sense as why you would build here on the God's Eye. There, if you build on the shores of it, you get a natural barrier against like being surrounded in siege. It's kind of like when you see with Storm's End and Cashley Rock where the backs of them back up to water, which means there's always at least some way to get fresh water if you need it. And it's hard to totally surround it. It also is a val on sitting on valuable trade routes. Um, Heron Hall or the God's Eye itself is very close to the Bay of Crabs, which as we know from um, from Arya's chapters that quite a lot of trade goes through there up to what is later known as Haraway's town, also very near the Trident. And also a lot of people don't know this, but the God's Eye connects to the Blackwater Rush. 
and there's quite a lot of rivers and streams through there so it's a really good position to to set up your home base from <laughs> Yeah, they're called house whore. That's right. Um, and it's also very convenient for Heron Whore because there's nobody here. There's no castles. There's no holdings around the God's Eye Lake. Again, because of the, the connection to the Children of the Forest, the idea that it's spooky and all these other kind of things, nobody goes there. There's nothing there. So Heron, being an enterprising king of the river, says, perfect. We're going to bring, we're going to build a castle there. And we also know that since uh, Heron is a follower of the Drown God, he doesn't give any craps about the old guys, he doesn't give any crap about the Weirwoods, the Iron Men were not in the pact, supposedly, or maybe not, I'm not really sure, but the Drown God rules for him, so there's, there's no real problem for him. Yeah, good point from uh, Guilty Undertaker. There's no castle there. Maybe you should ask about that. Yeah, maybe there's a reason there's no castles there. Maybe there's a reason nobody builds there. But, you know, he does it anyway. And Heron builds Heron Hall. It takes him 40 years, 40 years of construction. And he builds the biggest castle, the biggest fortress that anyone has ever seen. And to do it, he earned his nickname, Heron the Black. Um, he employed slave labor. He he um, he dug massive quarries and just grabbed peasants and threw them in there. Uh, he had thralls and, you know, the ironborn tradition that is basically slavery in any other way and. Kills thousands, maybe tens of thousands in construction. But he, what he also did because you know, a lot of people kill peasants. So what's the big deal? I mean. Obviously, we know what the big deal, but is why is this a big deal to the river lords? The big problem is that while he was doing this, he drained all of the money through taxes and just taking it from the Iron Islands and the river lords. Which means nobody was happy about this project. But Heron had his army, he had his longboat, so they couldn't really fight back. But at the end of 40 years, everybody hates Heron the Black. But he has his massive castle, so everything's fine, right? Well, yeah. Uh, there's a good quote here. Um, I think this is also maybe from Catelyn. Actually, I'm not really sure. I forget who this one's from, but it says, Harrenhal. Every child of the Trident knew the tales told of Harrenhal, the vast fortress that King Heron the Black had raised beside the waters of the God's Eye 300 years past, when the Seven Kingdoms had been Seven Kingdoms. And the Riverlands were ruled by iron men from the islands. In his pride, Heron had desired the highest hall and tallest towers in all Westeros. Forty years it had taken, rising like a great shadow on the shore of the lake, while Heron's armies plundered his neighbors for stone, lumber, gold, and workers. Thousands of captains died in his quarries, chained to his sledges or laboring on his five colossal towers. Men froze by winter and sweltered in summer. Weirwoods that had stood three thousand years were cut down for beams and rafters. Heron had beggared the Riverlands and the Iron Islands alike to adorn, to ornament his dream. And when at last Harrenhal stood complete, on the very day King Harrenhal took up residence, Aegon the Conqueror had come ashore at King's Landing. 
whoops on that one. Bad news. Didn't work out so great for Heron. <laughs> uh, and also, there's there's a very important detail in what we learn about the construction that Heron had not only is not only building on the God's eye near the Isle of Faces where nobody goes, nobody builds anything. You can't even get to the Isle of Faces, but he cut down 3000 year old weirwoods and used them for building material. This isn't the first place that has done this. I believe the Boyer or the, uh, has a lot of weirwood in its construction. It's not that uncommon for this to happen, especially in the age of the Andals and the faith of the seven, but it's still kind of a big deal. But here's the weirdest thing, okay? <laughs> here's the weirdest part about uh, the construction of Heron Hall. Heron cut down 3,000-year-old weirwoods, but then he built the biggest godswood anybody's ever seen in the Seven Kingdoms. He built a 20-acre godswood with one supremely angry weirwood at its center. Uh, we get the... We get to see it from Arya. She says, shoving her, th shoving her sword through her belt, she slipped down branch to branch until she was back on the ground. The light of the moon painted the limbs of the weirwood silvery light white as she made her way towards it. But the five-pointed red leaves turned black by night. Arya stared at the face carved into the trunk. It was a terrible face. Its mouth twisted, its eyes flaring and full of hate. Is that what a god looked like? Could gods be hurt the same as people? I should pray, she, th she thought suddenly. Yeah, I think the gods can be hurt, Arya, and I think Heron hurt them. And I don't think the children of the forest let it go that their divine home, their sacred place, and their 3,000-year-old weirwoods were cut down. It's also, the, the dichotomy, though, is really, really strange. You cut down the weirwoods, but then you also build a godswood. Um, this has led some to wonder if maybe Heron was kind of being messed with by the children of the forest for cutting down their trees. Because at this time, this is mostly Faith of the Seven territory, so who's he building this for? It seems totally at odds with the desecration that he's putting through the lakes and the weirwoods. So what's going on? And it's also the fact that the children of the forest, we know that their trees essentially serve as like soul jars that this is where their afterlife is. This is where the children go when they die. They go into the weirwoods. So Aaron has essentially killed 3,000 years worth of children of the forest with everyone he cut down. Children probably not happy about this. And I think if there is a curse, this is probably what he did to do it. Um, they're especially right outside their home, their most sacred place in the God's eye. <laughs> all that was missing was Aaron playing with a Ouija board in the cemetery in Halloween yeah it's like he specifically is trying to fuck himself up I don't know what he's doing I don't know why he's doing it um, Nicola says Aegon arriving on the same day Heron Hall uh, was, was not a coincidence built can't be a coincidence someone contacted him I'm gonna get to that in a little bit but there is sort of some understanding of why Aegon did that. I don't know if it has to be the children going like, Aegon, go kill Heron. They cut down the trees. I'm not even, who knows if Aegon would even care if he got those messages. But anyway, so that's an important part of the construction of it. It is built with blood. It is built with weirwoods. It is, is essentially like a mass sacrifice site, if you think about it in a way. 
It's like a mass sacrifice to the to the uh, drown god. So about that. But how enormous actually is Heron Hall? Like we know it's it's big, but like how big is it? Well, it has five towers. Nate, we don't actually know the name original names of the towers, but they're known now as the Widow's Tower, Tower of Dread, the Wailing Tower, the Tower of Ghosts, and the King's Pyre Tower. These were all given to them afterwards after Aegon destroyed it. And each one of these towers and its attached buildings would be considered large castles anywhere else in Westeros. And he has five of them. Five enormous towers and castles. Halls attached to them. Uh, we, get, we learned that the gatehouse, just the gatehouse of Harrenhal is as big as the Great Keep in Winterfell. Not only that, the entire acreage that Harrenhal sits on is three times as much as Winterfell. And Winterfell is considered one of the great holdings in Westeros. It's three Winterfells. During the Great Council of 101, um, this is where they chose to have the council itself because it's like, where else is big enough? A thousand lords showed up and all their retinues. And even with, you know, Harrenhal destroyed, they were all pretty comfy. They stayed there for months and like some people obviously lived out of tents and stuff like that, but there's enough space in Harrenhal that a thousand lords descended upon it. And we're like, yeah, this is pretty comfy, <laughs> which is pretty wild. That's that's a wild amount of space. Uh, there's also the Hall of the Hundred Hearths, although it doesn't have a hundred hearths. It's like 32, 33, 34 ish, but it's by far the biggest hall in all of Westeros. It also has, uh, what is it, two levels of galleries going up. Even the Great Hall in the Red Keep is dwarfed by this thing. It includes an armory. It has 20 forges, that giant bear pit that Bran and Jamie fought in. It has halls, great halls, as big as any of Westeros, just for the barracks, and another one just for the hunters. It has a bathhouse. It has a buttery. It has a brew house. It's basically like when, Aga, when Heron the Black was deciding what he was going to put into it. It's like, you can imagine the architect came to him and was like, all right, Heron, so what do you want to put in this castle? Like, what do you want to have? And he just said, yes, I will have all the things. <laughs> I will have every single thing you can possibly have in a castle. And the result of this is that, I mean, he, we call Heron Hall a castle and a fortress, but it's much more like he built a stone city. Aha, stone city. Gurm's old story. But that's basically what it is. It is uh, self-sufficient. It has everything you need inside the walls. It is it like it's actually kind of weird that it's not like considered a city because that's basically what it is. Um, and then there's also the stories. There's some, a few more stories about this. Um, I think this is from Arya. She remembers old Nan's stories of the castle built on fear. Heron the Black had mixed human blood in the mortar, Nan used to say, dropping her voice so the children would need to lean close to hear. But Aegon's dragons had roasted Heron and all his sons within their great walls of stone. And this is one of those things where quite a lot of uh, myths and legends get played up for for dramatic effect like old nan is doing here where she's trying to scare the children did he mix blood in the mortar like no but he definitely killed tens of thousands of people in order to build it and it's also playing on the idea that the, that the castle itself was cursed before it was burned the idea that human blood in the mortar and that you get the 
children of the forest and the weirwood beams and the wealth he stole from from the riverlands and the iron islands the castle when it was being built was considered cursed that everyone knew it was like a terrible thing he was doing <laughs> actually that'd be pretty funny uh, uh viseria says the wince to the realtor i guess the bear pit will be sufficient but i was looking for more of a three bear pit not a one bear pit yeah the realtor of trying to sell you on heron hall would be like what, what's it got i don't know all the things it has everything but yeah like this is the point it wasn't it's not that Aegon burned it down that heron hall is cursed it was considered that beforehand. The whole area is considered magical and weird. The castle itself and its construction was considered unholy and a crime against nature. So it's not Aegon that is doing that made this thing happen. Although he did well, he did literally burn it down, and his decisions later led to its continued rumbling. But that's not where these um, where these ideas come from. He built the monster truck of his time. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of true. Um, Heron Hall itself is built to garrison literally tens of thousands of soldiers. Um, we learn in A Song of Ice and Fire that Tywin Lannister brings his 20,000 man army into Heron Hall and they are comfortably able to stay there. It has these enormous, giant, thick walls that make sieges impractical. It has more murder holes and places for archers to fire from than you can even imagine. It's supposed to be defensible from anything and everything literally forever. Well, at least from a, a human army from an, there's also a weird line that it's built. It seems like it's built more for giants than men, which is, um, has set off people's uh, tinfoil about like, Oh, what's it supposed to do? But it is just truly, truly enormous. Do I think he's compensating for something? Um, well, there is. It does make sense that you'd want to do this, that you would want to build this kind of castle if you're an Iron Man that has that has inherited the Riverlands, because they're the big problem with ruling from a fair market is that it makes you eternally dependent on the Iron Islands for defense. If anybody comes at you, your big move will be to run away to get back to your long ships and then counterattack. But with Heron Hall, Heron is setting it up so that House Hor in the Riverlands can be kings there forever, that they have their own seat of power, that it has lands, that they have incomes that are not just based on raiding. That's it's supposed to remake the power structure within the Riverlands. And this is sort of, again, this goes back to why was this built? Like, this is a real problem in the Riverlands if you're trying to hold it. Most of the, um, the great holdings and lords are vulnerable from everywhere. There's river, a uh, river run itself attempts to get around this by building itself in the middle of a river so that it can be kind of defensible for quite a long time. But most holdings in the Riverlands are not like that. Attacks could come from anywhere. It could come from the north, the Vale, the Stormlands, the Reach, the Westerlands, maybe even more Ironborn. And when you're as cruel and as as much of a dick as Herod is, like you're gonna have a lot of attacks. The point of Westeros, uh, kinda. It's it's just, it's sitting in the middle, and there's no way to defend from everything. So 
there's no way to use natural um the landscape to really protect yourself effectively for forever even the toys as we learn in a song of ice and fire their strategy does not work forever there's even a plan to divert the river so that their uh, their moat essentially goes away so this was Heron's solution. And not only does this make a really big military and political point that the Iron Men aren't going anywhere, that they're here forever, but it's also kind of a religious magical one. Heron Hor is not just saying he rules over the Riverlands. He's ruling over the old gods. He built his castle with weirwoods. He built it on the god's eye in view of the Isle of Faces, essentially giving them the middle finger. <laughs> and it's that's what it's supposed to say to, to those that are attacking him. This is this is here now and forever. You're not getting rid of us. And this is something I was thinking about um, while I was researching Heron Hall. And this has really big Lovecraft vibes. I mean, the size and the way it's constructed reminds you of places like Unknown Kadath and um, and Lang, but especially, especially the city of Sarnath. Um, I think that that's exactly what George is drawing on, that he's looking at this, uh, the story, the love story of Sarnath from, actually, what is that one from? Hang on. Sarnath. Lovecraft. Uh, the Doom That Came to Sarnath. And the setup is almost exactly identical. Um, there used to be uh, the great city Ebb on this amazing lake and... The uh, Sarnor, the people of Sarnor came and destroyed the entire city and they stole their Id the idol of their god name. Uh, Lovecraft names are hard to pronounce, but we're going to give it a shot. Bakrugand, Bakrugand and destroyed the um, reptilian Umha who lived there, the natural people. They're kind of like squishers, basically. And what they did is they destroyed everything that was there and they built this amazing opulent city right on the lake shore and much like heron gave a little gave the middle finger not the little finger the middle finger to the gods that used to live there well a thousand years later um the reptilian gods has become worshipped within sarnor or sarnath i'm sorry and then in one night the, the amazing giant city itself is destroyed without a trace. It is brought down to nothing and nobody knows what happens. And you can see the parallels here with Harrenhal being built on this massive lake. It's a desecration of the old gods. It's done within. It's taking in their idols with the gods wood and doing it right in the faces of the Isle of Faces. And then how just how quickly that it came to nothing. Absolutely destroyed. So I, I think that's what George is drawing on here when we're talking about Sarnath and Harrenhal. I think you're supposed to see them as one and the same. Which is a, a cool way of thinking about it. Um, going back and like. If you want to think about a curse, a magical reason that I think that would be the example, especially knowing George is such a huge fan of Lovecraft that you would look at. Um, yeah, he's blasphemous like Euron Greyjoy. You guys, exactly, making great connections here. The way that Euron uh, deals with gods and priests is basically what Heron the Black was doing here. Um, which maybe tell you about something what's going to happen with Euron in the future. <sighs> yeah, about that one. Not going great for him. Uh, so then we get to Aegon's Conquest. So as you guys have mentioned in the chat, right 
Exactly. As Harrenhal was completed, Aegon, Rhaenys, and Visenya immediately launched their attack on Westeros, and their first target, their first big target, is Harren the Black and Harrenhal itself. And this is why I don't think that's really... You don't need a mystical explanation for why they did this. I think it's a really good tactical move. So obviously they landed in the Blackwater Rush, they built the Aegon Fort, and then they started taking out what used to, what would in the future be the Crownlands, but at the time is part of the Riverlands. And this is challenging the power of Heron to come out of his mighty fortress and deal with the Dragon Lords. I, he just completed this huge fortress that nobody can beat, and Aegon is essentially, Aegon and his sisters are going like, on that giant castle. They're like, come protect your vassals. I don't think you can. And Aegon is exactly right. It creates this perfect narrative for the Targaryen invasion that Heron is the first target. That he's the one they're going to take down. And the reason for this goes back to how he built Hall. That he did it by pissing off every Iron, Iron Man Lord and every River Lord by essentially looting everything to build this castle. So he's seen as this giant tyrant within Westeros. Everybody knows Heron, everybody hates him. And now he has this giant castle that means he's never going away. And Aegon's is basically saying like, I can get rid of him. If you guys just support me, you guys come around on my side, we can get rid of, you know, this dick over in Harrenhal. I, I also like to think about the fact that Heron built this enormous castle and at no point did he think about dragons. Like, there's no scorpions on the roof. There's no, like, drag... I don't even know what dragon defenses would be. Like, maybe, like, spikes and, like, stuff like that to stop a dragon from attacking. But it doesn't seem like he cared about them. And <laughs> um, I think there's good reason for that. We sort of think about the dragons in terms of, like, well, everybody knew that Aegon and his sisters have dragons. But it's like, I'm not so sure how much they really knew about what was going on in Dragonstone. Since Aenar the Exile landed, they haven't gone beyond Dragonstone in terms of conquest ever. <clears throat> They've basically just been sitting there, and they show up to court sometimes, they travel around, but the Valyrians and whatever dragons they have just kind of stay where they are. Um, and especially when you're talking about the secluded nature of Dragonstone, they were essentially waiting for Balerion, Meraxes, and Vagar to grow up, which they could do in relative secret. Nobody's going there. It's not like Dragonstone was a seat of power at the point. Like, nobody really cared about the Targaryens. <clears throat> and we actually know this from Fire and Blood. George gave us this example. Sunfire, the enormous giant golden dragon that sticks out everywhere he goes, was not only able to hide... Uh, I believe in the Vale, but he was able to make it back to Dragonstone, kill another dragon, and get back into a cave with nobody knowing he did it. So, again, we take for granted that everyone in Westeros and Harrenhor must have known the dragons were there and to fear their power, but there's good reason to think that they did not, and that this seclusion from the Targaryens with their dragons essentially allowed them to have a surprise attack on everybody. Well, it's not that they didn't know they were there. I don't think they knew that they were a really big threat or even that the, Tar that the Targaryens were going to try and conquer things because they they had shown no ambition for it after the fall of, uh, of Valyria. <coughs> Oof. 
drink some water. Yeah, sneaky snakes. <laughs> Sneak snakes. Um, yeah, and Heron later, as we learn, does not really think that um, that dragons can even burn stone. There's a lot of mystery about them. Oh, yes, that's right. All Hail the Night's Queen says, don't forget to smash that like button. We get to 150 likes. Gandalf hat coming on the head. So, yeah, please sla smash that like button. It super helps out with making sure people can see the stream. Um, yeah, good point by Muzzy. Um, they say, in the same way in our current story, a lot of Westeros here are ignorant about Danny's dragons and what they can do. Yeah, um, they know she has dragons. How big are they? What can they do? Who the fuck knows? Not a lot of people know that. So that's sort of the whole point. It's Aegon targeted Heron as the biggest tyrant. He did it in a way that challenges authority, his ability with his um, with his vassal contracts that he can protect Duskendale. He can protect um, Blackwater. He can uh, protect Rosby as the Targaryens just took it from him. So that's where we get the the reason that he's going after Heron. It's the easiest guy to take down and it's the one whose vassals hate him the most. And it's also noted that Aegon did not just suddenly come out of nowhere and attack. He had spent a lot of his uh, youth traveling around Westeros. He had seen a lot of the courts, a lot of the castles. Um, he had built the painted table, so it's not like he wasn't aware of Westerosi politics and the kings and kingdoms and how people felt about him. It's very much a tactical decision. I don't think it has to be a magical one at all. It makes perfect sense why you would go after them. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, it's uh, it is kind of weird that the Targaryens didn't do anything, but you know, there may have been an, an element of humility after the fall of Valyria that like. Wow, everything's gone and Valyria failed. Do we really want to do this again? And I can understand why people would not want to do that. So uh, what ends up happening is Aegon uh, takes a bunch of what would become the Crown Lands and then he shows up at Harrenhal, but he only has 8,000 troops at this point. Um, it's nowhere near enough to siege the castle. Aaron is specifically designed to take on 100,000 troops or more. 8,000 ain't going to do it. And they also lost quite a lot of troops in the, uh, the run-up to it. Aegon won the Battle of the Reeds, but he lost a lot of his men. And then he also lost the Battle of the Wailing Willows. But there was kind of a, uh, a bright side to that. After the Battle of the Wailing Willows, Aegon caught Heron's retreating sons with Balerion, the Black Dragon, killed them, burned them on the lake. So get wrecked on that one. So yeah, they, they had taken heavy losses. Whatever forces he had gained in his conquest of the what would become the Crown Lands um, was pretty low. By comparison, if you're thinking about like how big is his army, well, Tywin Lannister in the War of the Five Kings on his own had 20,000 troops. So a tiny, tiny number compared to what we see in the War of the Five Kings. I think Renly has like 80,000, something like that, between foot and, um, and his cavalry. So when he walks up to Harrenhal, Aegon does not have the ability to attack it with, his, with the forces he has. He has to either get Heron to surrender, or he basically has to burn the castle to the ground to get at him. And like we see from his descendants, Aegon decides that mass murder and 
destroying Heron Hall and taking down Heron himself will be a nice big political message to the rest of Westeros about what happens when Aegon shows up at Balerion and you don't immediately bend the knee to him. Uh, so we have the quotes here. Oh yeah, good call, Alicia, Quince, uh, Alicia Kingston. Uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman died last night. That was a, that was a really big loss. Died from uh, cancer at 41. Oh, there's... Um, is there something going wrong with the chat? I would... Um, hang on a second. Looks like... Looks like it should be okay. I would try um, refreshing if you're having problems with the chat. With the... Uh, Stream health, excellent. I don't see any drop frames or anything, so we should be okay. Um, oh, it's just you. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> so we get the quote here um, from the conversation that takes place between uh, Aegon and Heron. Aegon says, "Yield now, and you may remain as Lord of the Iron Islands. Yield now, and your sons will live to rule after you." I have 8,000 men outside your walls. So Aegon's lying here. He also has Balerion, the Black Dread. But he's also offering him a peace tree. He's saying, give up the Riverlands, but you can keep the Iron Islands. You can, and I won't, you guys can walk away from this. This is what Heron says. What is outside my walls is of no concern to me. These walls, those walls are strong and thick, but not so high to keep dragons out. Dragons fly. I built in stone. Stone does not burn. And then Aegon says his most like mic drop line we probably have from him. When the sun sets, your line shall end. And the Targaryen strategy has worked up to this point. It's not Aegon has 8000 troops, but who shows up to support him? And that is most of the river lords. Uh, we know that at least um, houses strong Blackwood. Bracken, Malister, Vance, Piper, Frey, and uh, Tully all show up alongside his 8,000 troops in order to um, back Aegon against Heron Hor. And this has big shades of what I was talking about earlier with Harwin um, Hardhand, where <laughs> Aegon shows up. He's going to depose the awful ruler. Uh, last time it was Eric Durant. Arik Durandon, now it is Heron the Black, but it's the same idea where the, the promise made to the River Lords is basically support me, I'll get rid of the asshole I'll be better than him um, although I believe this time he does not mislead them about what's happening they, he has already been crowned, I believe by Visenya, King of the Seven Kingdoms, so they will be vassals but it's the same idea um and this is actually one thing I found really interesting. So Heron's whole thing is that he was going to um, make a castle that was immune to sieges. He, he would have a seat of power that he didn't need the Ironborn for. But within that, you can't just have the castle that's immune to siege. You need to have allies. And all of his allies turned on him. So his last option of trying to escape to Iron Man Bay and go back to the Iron Islands is cut off. And uh, nor can the Ironborn reach him. He's essentially on his own now. He has to um, he has to essentially win whatever this conflict is against Aegon or die trying because nobody's coming to help. Um, there's a quote here from what he says afterwards. 
Uh, Heron says, had I a daughter, the dragon slayer could claim her hand as well. Instead, I will give him one of the Tully daughters or all three if he likes, or may pick one of the Blackwood whelps or Strongs or any of the girls born of these traitors of the Trident, these lords of yellow mud. So he's essentially promising to um, anybody that can kill a dragon, they will become a great lord because he's also going to punish his former vassals that are now rebelling against him. And <laughs> as Alicia says in the chat, Aegon didn't bluff on that one. Heron's, Heron's line ended that night. As the last light of the sun faded, Black Heron's men stared into the gathering darkness, clutching their spears and crossbows. When no dragon appeared, some may have thought that Aegon's threats had been hollow. <laughs> Ugh, about that one. But Aegon Targaryen took Balerion up high, through the clouds, up and up until the dragon was no bigger than a fly on the moon. Only then did he descend, well inside the castle walls. On wings black as pitch, Balerion plunged through the night, and when the great towers of Harrenhal appeared beneath him, the dragon roared his fury and bathed them in black fire, shot through with swirls of red. Stone does not burn, Heron had boasted, but his castle was not made of stone alone. Wood and wool, hemp and straw, bread and salted beef and grain all took fire. Nor were Heron's iron men made of stone, smoking and screaming, shrouded in flames. They ran across the yards and tumbled from the walkways to die upon the ground below. And even the stone, and even stone will crack and melt if a fire is hot enough. The river lords outside the castle walls said later that the towers of Harrenhal glowed wet against the night like five great candles. And like candles, they began to twist and melt as runnels of molten stone ran down their sides. Heron and his sons, Heron and his last sons died in the fires that engulfed the monstrous fortress that night. House Hor died with him, and so too did the Iron Islands hold on the Riverlands. The next day, outside the smoking ruins of Harrenhal, King Aegon accepted an oath of fealty from Edmund Tully, Lord of Riverrun, and named him Lord Paramount of the Trident. The other, the other river lords did him homage as well, to Aegon as king and to Edmund Tully as their leech lord. When the ashes had cooled enough, when the ashes had cooled enough to allow men to enter the castle safely, the swords of the fallen. Many shattered or melted, twisted into ribbons by, of steel by dragon fire, were gathered up and sent back to the Aegon Fort in wagons. This is where he got a lot of the swords that he made the, um, the Iron Throne from. Now that is a brutal way to die. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Gilsey Undertaker. We finally have a toy that is not a Muppet. Yeah. Uh, Heron and all of his line are dead. Aegon burns them out. And this is actually something I wanted to talk about uh, real quick. I made a Twitter thread about this a while back where um, I was talking about how Aegon's strategy here and this total cruelty of him is something that the Targaryen dynasty traded on for almost the rest of their lives in within Westeros and beyond with Danny. Um, and that is he didn't just destroy Harrenhal. He didn't just wipe out House Hor. He killed everybody inside. And I, I don't just mean the Iron Man. We know from Arya's chapters and from descriptions that this is a literal city. This is a stone city. And it, and it needs an army of people to keep it running. Um, and as we know from Harren's building strategies, he did use slave labor. He used thralls. And you have to assume 
that quite a lot of the people inside Harrenhal were these captives or salt wives or thralls or really just normal people that are trying to live under the reality of Heron the Black. You know, there's cooks, there's grooms, there's random guardsmen. There's all sorts of jobs that we meet from Arya, even when in its, um, its, its condensed form later. And all these people died along with Heron the Black. And that is something that Aegon was comfortable with. He, well, made not comfortable, it was something he was willing to do. He was willing to not just, he killed probably like 40, 50,000 people in one night. Um, and it is that extreme display of violence and cruelty that is the dramatic example that Aegon used for his path to power as the king of Westeros along with the field of fire later and it's this example of that the Targaryens for generations traded on that over and over and over again we especially see this in fire and blood that his descendants point to Harrenhal whenever there's a lord who is acting up he's he just goes like actually this directly happens with Jaehaerys the first and um lord Baratheon I forget his first name but he he basically says threatens him that he will Harrenhal storms Ed and all his vassals if he doesn't stop screwing around and that doesn't that doesn't stop that keeps coming and when you're talking about okay I understand a lot of people don't like season eight and what Danny did but the 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 strategy that they were having her logically use is the same as Aegon the Conqueror that you destroy one giant building in a in a very dramatic way and you do it because you you destroy that one place that one giant castle that one city and then the next hundred will open their doors without a fight it's essentially um the nuclear strategy that the US used at the end of World War II just unbelievable death and destruction a promise that it will come again and yeah that that's a lot of people think about the Targaryen hold on Westeros in terms of like it's it's the dragons they'll come and destroy you but it's specifically Harrenhal that they use as the example as the threat there's even uh Magor and Jaehaerys and Alysanne use the same threat against Old Town they park their dragons on top of them with the threat especially since Magor literally has Balerion the drag black dread that he can do to Old Town what Aegon did to Harrenhal and um Yeah, Dornish Dam, exactly. Interesting to think that what Aegon did in the context of bombings of cities in World War II, um, the, the destruction of Dresden, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, yet there's no distinguishing for Aegon here. He didn't like say like, all, your, all the people that work inside Harrenhal can leave, I'm going to spare the, those that, he just, he killed them all. And that's basically what he did. Um... So if you're that's this is kind of the what they were thinking about when they designed that plot, whether or not you like the plot and how it was set up and all these things. But this is definitely what it's harkening back to. Um, so, yeah. Yay. It's it's not a thing that Dan and Dave made up that the Targaryens will burn down essentially a city in order to. Um, to make sure that everyone else will bend the knee. 
Yeah, uh, good call, Isabel, Isabel Lamego. Magor the Black Dread. Uh, Magor writing the Black Dread. Is this a ridiculous threat? Absolutely. Uh, the Northmen, the reason Torn Stark bends the knee is because his scouts go out and tell him what happened to Harrenhal. And he's like, I can't let that happen to my people. I can't let that happen to Winterfell. He has to bend the knee. Oh yeah, exactly, Guilty Undertaker. It's Robar Baratheon. Um, his message that while the dragons live, everyone in Westeros is his hostage. And that is, it's exactly true. That is the Targaryen. They do attempt, um, during the time of Jaehaerys and Alysanne and afterwards to try and make it a more political power. But as long as the dragons lived, this was always the threat. Uh, good call. Nicola Tywin did the same thing as Aegon just without dragon fire. Absolutely. So now we get to the curse. Actually, you know what? Let's take a few questions right now. Uh, we're about an hour in, got an hour left to go. Slam the like button, 192 people watching. Thank you all so much for, um, for spending your Saturday with me. Um, so the first one here, let's see if we can get something that has to do with what we're talking about. Um, uh, Bernie, uh, one of our, one of my mods also, uh, from the patron slack, she said, so I've always felt the curse was caused by using weirwood from the area to build the castle and to worship the seven so close to the God's eye, you're spitting right in the face of the old gods. And there's some truth to that. I, I don't think that, I think it is kind of a slap in the face of the children of the forest and the green seers that Heron did this and that the castle remains and that the drowned god was being worshipped there and then the face of the seven afterwards because as far as we know i mean i have a theory that the strongs were secret old gods supporters but that's not in the story as after after the construction of heron hall no old god supporter holds heron hall and it's still full of the weirwoods and it's still as unholy as it was before um <laughs> Oh, Bernie, you don't have to be scared when you see my name. I thought this was a good comment, but I think the idea of spinning in the eyes of the old gods is definitely the um, the idea behind if there is a curse and what it's based on, it would probably be this. It's also important to note that Bloodraven, who essentially became the old gods, tore down uh, White Walls and Butterwell, the Butterwell home after the second Blackfire Rebellion. So all, when the old gods can... Apparently, they like to remove everything from around the God's Eye. Um, yeah, I think that I think that's a great comment and absolutely true that even if they're not literally any children left in the in the God's Eye underneath the Isle of Faces, that the Weirwoods and Bloodraven's power and the Greenseers would not forget in the same way that they don't forget what happened at High Heart. <laughs> You're not shouting to the void. I read it. I thought it was a good question. Um, a lot of these are... Actually, most of these have to do with the curse itself. So let's go into what is the curse. And... <clears throat> So we get a lot of quotes about the curse for Harrenhal. It happens in the show as well. Um, a lot of these lines are picked up by Dan and Dave. And it's essentially... I'll just read a few of them really quickly. So... Um, as you say, my lord, but why Harrenhal? That is a grim, unlucky place. Some call it cursed. 
And then another one, Heron and all his line had perished in flames that engulfed his monstrous forest. Fortress. Interesting slip of the tongue. And every hell, house that held Heron Hall since has come to misfortune. Strong it might be, but it was a dark place and cursed. And here's uh, talking about Jano Slint. I think Tyrion says this. You're a bold man to take Heron Hall for your seat. Such a grim place and huge, costly to maintain. And some say cursed as well. Uh, here's another one. King Rob has no more loyal servant than Wyman Manderley. I would be loath to see my sons languish in Harrenhal any longer than he must, however. That is an ill place. Cursed, they say. Not that I am the sort of fellow to swallow such tales, but still, there it is. Look what's befallen this gentle slint. Raised up to Lord of Harrenhal by the Queen, cast down by her brother. Shipped off to the wall, they say. And this is uh, Tyrion offering Littlefinger the castle. Littlefinger took a moment to adjust the drape of his cape, but Tyrion had seen the flash of hunger in those sly cat's eyes. I have him, he knew. Harrenhal is cursed, Lord Peter said after a moment, trying to sound bored. And then it says, and then another one, Harrenhal would earn a reputation as cursed in the years that followed as many of the ruling houses would meet on happy ends. So if you break down these quotes and what they're talking about, essentially the idea is if you are given Harrenhal, your house will become extinct relatively quickly after taking it. Um, that within your lifetime, within a couple generations, it's gone. And the Janos Slint example is maybe the most dramatic one. I think he got it and lost it within like the space of a month. Uh, Peter Baelish was given Harrenhal, but didn't die. Not yet. Um, but as, as I talked about earlier, with its, with its construction and the connection to the old gods, this spooky connection already existed when Harrenhal was new. So there is this idea that there's a curse placed on it from Black Heron's um, influence and that this whole area is a cursed, weird, magical area that is being uh, encouraged by the destruction of all the houses that immense that eventually take it. Uh, good point. I'm going to get to this in a second. Uh, Guilty Undertaker. Not all the houses immediately died. So the curse isn't exactly true. But. Um, yeah, there, I mean, we have the the weirwood worship also often involves blood sacrifice. So the blood and the mortars is talking about kind of old God stuff. It's called a dark haunted place. But we also get this kind of language about Winterfell, that there's a lot of people that that thinks there are ghosts in Winterfell, uh, real ones, which we actually know what those are. It's uh, some of them are brand skin changing the Winterfell tree and scaring the crap out of Theon. So. It may very well be that the skin changers and the green seers are messing with the people of Harrenhal, making it feel spooky and haunted just because of the way their powers work. Um, and then also we get um, Alice Rivers, uh, who I talked about for two hours with, I think, uh, History of Westeros about a year ago, I think, uh, with Shakespeare of Thrones. Uh, she's the bastard of House Strong, but she really played up these ideas when she made herself the Witch Queen of Harrenhal, which evokes not only the the Witch Queen, the idea of Woods Witch and Children of the Forest, but also evokes ideas of Lord of the Rings. And I, somebody said this earlier, but Minas Morgul, the um, the cursed city that had been um, They've been taken over by the witch king of Sauron. So, yeah, there's there's an all, all the spookiness is really talking about old god stuff. 
essentially. So <clears throat> let's go through the list of all the houses that have held it. So the first one is, of course, uh, House Coharis after Heron Hor fell. Um, Quentin Coharis, who I called House Go Ghost Rider, my house strong stream, because they really do have an awesome, uh, awesome sigil. He was just the master of arms for Aegon. He's of Valyrian blood. Um, he is gifted Harrenhal, but notably is not given the incomes and the fealty of the Riverlands. As I said earlier, Edmund Tully is named Lord Paramount of the Trident, not House Coharis. That's a that's a big problem. Um, although this is kind of where the curse starts going. After taking Harrenhal, Quentin's wife died a year later. Uh, he wed the daughter of House Tully to secure that political blood alliance to Riverlands, maybe just join the claims and make them one big political unit. But he dies eight years later without having a child with her, as far as we know, because uh, it says that he had children already. <clears throat> Afterwards, his grandson inherits named Gargan Coharis because his other children had already died or produced no heirs. And what happens is that Gargan Coharis essentially caused his own downfall because he slept with everybody and anybody in the Riverlands, whether they wanted to or not. He tried very hard to enforce the Lord's Night to First Night. Uh, he, it said that he would go to every wedding he could, and then he would try to essentially, you know, force himself on the brides, and he was their overlord, so they kind of had to. But it made everybody hate him, absolutely hate him. And when um, Heron the Red, this is supposedly Heron the Black's grandson, but considering everybody died, it's not really clear if it was. The Riverlanders essentially just opened the doors for Heron the Red, let him into um, Heron Hall, and they killed Gargan, whose name is also very Garth-like. Kind of the idea of um, the abuse of sexuality of Garth Greenhand. And that ends House Coharis only 37 years into their into their reign. That's pretty quick. Uh, so then Heron the Red's um, rebellion is put down shortly afterwards. House Haraway is given Heron Hall as a reward. They kind of have their own holdings in uh, Haraway's town, but not much. Um, they're not given Lord Paramount ship. But Lucas Haraway is a kind of dude that um, that is trying to make the whole Harrenhal thing work. So he ends up bunning up to Magor the Cruel, and he becomes Hand of the King, and he gives his first daughter, well, quote-unquote, gave... Magor didn't... Magor took what he wanted, much in a similar way to, um, to Gargan before him. He takes Alice Haraway as his wife, but Alice has a, a monstrous child, sort of like Danny's, the dragonish child. Um... And Tyana of the Tower convinces Magor that it's because she was cheating on Magor, that this is the gods punishing her. So Magor agrees and kills every member of House Haraway. They're gone. Not only that, Alice Haraway is given over to Tyana, who essentially tortured her for weeks and months until, um, until her death. Haraways are gone. So this is now 44 AC this happens. There have been two houses in 44 years that have taken up Harrenhal and been completely wiped out. Okay, that sucks, but Haraway's kind of had it coming. Well, not really. 
Okay, let me say this again. I said that wrong. Coharis had it coming, and butting up to Magor is a dangerous thing to do. And Magor was really the cruel, and what he did to the Harrowaves was over the top. But it's kind of like the the chance you take by trying to be his hand of the king. So then we get House Towers. They're given Heron Hall for winning a melee. Um, they're a knightly house, and that's about it. Magor gives it to uh, Walton Towers, but he dies two weeks later from wounds in the melee. Whoops. Curse. <gasps> curse. Curse, 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 curse. Um, oh, we are 27 away. Smash that like button. We'll put on that Gandalf hat. Got 209 watching. Again, thank you guys so much. Um, so Jordan Towers is given Harrenhal, but the lands around Harrenhal are also shrunk at this point. They don't get back Haraway's town. That goes to the Butterwells, and Derry takes the other parts of the Haraway's inheritance. So the lands and incomes around Harrenhal continue to shrink. That's not great. Um, they last a solid, what is it? So 17 years after that, Jordan's last son, Magor, dies in 61 AC, no heir, house goes extinct, all his other sons die before that, and all their children. Curse, 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 <gasps> curse. Um, and this is where Reyna Targaryen enters it. Uh, I talked about her a lot in my video about um, who killed, uh, who was behind um, the, the, what was it, what did I call it? Westeros horror story, like who tried to kill Reyna Targaryen. After all that, she eventually finds her way to Harrenhal and she lives out the rest of her life quietly there with her dragon and became friends with Magor Towers and the very small household that they had there. Um, it was mostly ghost, ghost town. This is kind of isolation for her. And that's 73 AC. So we now have within 73 years, basically uh, kind of five, Four, four and a half-ish houses have held Harrenhal and then have been wiped out. Um, but now we get House Strong. Yes, House Strong. Woo! They enter the narrative. Love House Strong. Love those guys. Um, <laughs> 73 AC. Again, Harrenhal is given to a knightly house, Sir Bywin Strong. He is not a lord. He is just a knight. Uh, he has no holdings that we know have. He is given Harrenhal. Again, he is not given any other holdings. Although the Strongs are maybe the ones that make the most sense for, for who holds it, because it's very likely based on their sigil. Uh, I speculated that maybe they ruled from Old Stones, but it's also very possible they ruled from the Castle of Fieldstone, um, sitting in between the different tridents to match their sigil. But they're at least around the area. Unlike House Coharis, who were just Valyrian dudes that showed up. <laughs> um, and this is by far the longest run of Harrenhal. Not, it's not even close. Um, so it goes from Sir Bywin Strong to Hand of the King, Lord Lionel Baratheon. Although Lionel and his son Breakbones both die in, in the castle in a fire in 120 AC. <gasps> oh my god, curse fire! <gasps> At this point, it passes to uh, Lord Lionel's younger son, the, the absent Lord Laris. Um, Laris the clubfoot that we know from Fire and Blood but he doesn't really take ownership of it. Sir Simon Strong, um, not really sure on what his, what his, how he's a relative to 
Laris, but he ends up holding it. But during this time, Damon Targaryen sees the castle, and then Aemond, uh, One-Eye, and Kristen Cole show up, and they kill everyone inside, at which point the castle passes to Alice Rivers. She's the only one they didn't kill, and Aemon takes her as his lover. <gasps> Scandalous. Um, how strong loses Harrenhal in 131 when Laris is uh, executed by Cregan Stark during the Hour of the Wolf, but Alice Rivers continues to hold it for quite a long time. Uh, we only know that <clears throat> House Lawston took over in 151 AC, um, and that as of 133 AC, Alice Rivers was ruling it as Witch Queen of Harrenhal. So we're looking at somewhere between 60 to 80 years of how strong holding it. So it's, I mean, it is cursed that, I guess you can say it's like, it's cursed because everyone's dying, but they held it a lot longer than everyone before them. Um, the fire was the curse, yes, absolutely. Only f six away. Slam that like button, guys. Um... Yeah, witchy woman, Alice Rivers. I love Alice Rivers. I might do a whole stream on her later um, just because she's such a fascinating character, and especially if we get more from Fire and Blood Part 2 whenever we get that. I would love to learn more about her as a character. <laughs> they held longer because they were many. Yeah, that may be true. Oh, looks like we got it. Gandalf hat engaged. Ah... She's on my, Alice Rivers is on my big list of streams to do. Oh, the hat's looking weird today. What did I do to it? <sighs> yes, Aaron. Alice, more witchy-ass pussy. The, the, the wop. There we go. Oh, by the way, um... All my rebrand stuff with the hat is coming very, very soon. Um, San Rixian and I have fi finished the designs. We're just working on the intro. And then after... Wow, it looks really weird. I don't know what I did to it. I may have thrown it around weird. But anyway, there we go. Um, yeah, that's the, that stuff is all coming soon. Remember, 175 Gurm hat. Um, so after that, House Lostin takes it. But again, this is a knightly house. Sir Lucas Lostin is given control of Harrenhal. Um, then we eventually get to Mad Donnell Lostin. More witchy vibes from her. Alice Rivers, Melisandre, that kind of thing. Uh, she supposedly used giant bats to kidnap children and young women so she could bathe in their blood. Um, talking about the bloody countess. That's what George is drawing on there. Apparently she used the bathhouse and it was really gross. But yeah, big old god energy at this point. Um, but then uh, Danelle dies somewhere around 220 to 230 AC, no heirs. And their servants, the knightly house, house went, takes the castle. And they also take their arms. And then we get about 70, 80 rules, 70, 80 years of house lost. And, and then... Um, another 70, 80 years of house went. So the curse is really more centered at the beginning. If you're talking about houses being wiped out, the other ones held it for quite a long time. Um, oh, uh, Ray Senya, my first opportunity to watch a corn stream live. Well, I'm glad you could. Thanks. Uh, thanks for showing up. And then obviously house slint, um, loses it. 
House of Went uh, loses it during War of the Five Kings, where Shella Went, who is missing, we don't really know what happened to her. She yields the castle to Tywin. Jail Swinton loses it after like a week. And then Peter Baelish is the current Lord of Harrenhal who has never stepped foot in it. Okay, so th that's the basics of the curse. We're looking at 300 years, 10 different houses held Harrenhal. Most of them went extinct. So what's, what, what's exactly going on here? And I think there's a few things going on. I think the first thing is economics. Okay, so... I, I kind of made reference to this while I was going through the houses, but you have to remember what Heron Hall was built for. It was built for Heron the Black, who was the king of the Iron Islands and the Riverlands with no lord to kick money up to. It was supposed to be a dynastic stronghold that would make him one of the great lords in Westeros. And as such, it needs all those incomes. It needs those lands. It needs those vassals for Heron Hall to be staffed and garrisoned and everything to be paid for, for it to run properly. And that's not what Aegon did. Aegon instead split the Riverlands from Heron Hall. He gave all those lands, he gave all the vassalage to the Tullys at River Run. So you're looking at already the biggest castle in the realm and nobody's going to have the money to keep it going, especially not after it's been destroyed. And then look at even you look at the houses as well that were granted Heron Hall. OK, so if you go through them, you have a landless master of arms in House Coharis. You have the queen in the east who doesn't have any vassals or incomes except whatever she gets from Jaharis. You have knightly houses from the areas, including the strongs that don't really have any land. And then there's one house that inherits Heron Hall that has anything, and that's the Haraways. And that land is taken away afterwards so the whole this is my point the holdings that it commands post heron's downfall are totally inadequate for its size and the and the requirements it has especially since now it's it's a burnt ruined mess if you even want to repair one castle it would take the king's entire coffers to do so it would take a massive amount of money and when you when you look at the houses that were given it none of them have money none of them have lands except for the haraways so what ends up happening when a lot of these houses took over heron hall they didn't really rule the castle they ruled like one or two towers and that's kind of it they left the rest mostly unmanned and unguarded and there's a quote from um aria when she's at heron hall and she says but now there are only a hundred men left to guard a thousand doors and no one seemed to know who should be where or care much and that's kind of the story of heron hall um that there's not nobody that rules it is able to pay for it basically no one's able to get the soldiers to do it and it's also the main strength of heron hall is that it's supposed to be unsiegeable that nobody could attack it but aegon destroyed it so effectively that those that those defenses are basically gone if you're going to hold heron hall you essentially have to hold it from the outside Yeah, a Zill description for Heron Hall, charming fixer upper. Think about it. It took 40 years and two whole kingdoms to pay for it to be built. You have to imagine the same kind of money would be required to rebuild it. Nobody has it. And 
you have to wonder about the choice that Aegon made, which ended up being the um the logic that carried through to Harrenhal even as the kings and dynasties changed. Oh, I didn't drop, did I? And that why did he not why did Aegon not give Harrenhal to like the Darius, the Brackens, the Tullys, the Blackwoods, who are old gods worshippers? These are the houses, the great houses that could have actually maybe afforded to rebuild Harrenhal over time and garrison it. You know, you need a great lord. It probably should have really gone to the Tullys as the Lord Paramounts. Um, they have the incomes, but I'm wondering if this was maybe a choice by Aegon that he didn't want anyone to rebuild, rebuild Harrenhal. He didn't want another King of the Rivers. He didn't want another castle he has to burn down. So it keeps going to all these knightly houses that can't do anything. It's, and I think this is the the point I'm getting at here is that it's a white elephant gift. I guess is the term for it that no no great lords demanded it. They could have over the centuries. They could have asked for Harrenhal as a reward for something, and no one did. And this whole curse thing could have been their reason for why they turned it down. It's brought up a few times when talking about the curse that any sort of competent lord would recognize that Harrenhal is a huge burden that to not only staff but pay for to rebuild and who would even want to deal with it you could probably easier take one of your neighbor's castles than take Harrenhal it, it basically except for Peter Baelish Peter Baelish is probably the only one with the money that can actually do anything about it and the second reason that I don't think there's a curse is that it's a very tactical location um Tons of wars throughout Westeros, and especially during the Targaryen uh, reign, have been in the Riverlands. In the War of the Five Kings, the Riverlands are so utterly destroyed, we have a feast for crows for George to even just talk about the destruction throughout the Riverlands. Dance of the Dragons took place in large part in the Riverlands. Magor's wars against, um, against his own kin took place there. The Blackfire Rebellions. So... Not only do you have this giant smoldering ruin of a castle you can't afford to garrison or repair, but you don't have the troops to defend it when these large armies come through. And when we see in the War of the Five Kings, it's Harrenhal changes hands like over and over and over again. It goes from the Wentz, it goes to Tywin, Brave Companions take it, Roos takes it for a while. Um, it, it just keeps going back and forth. And it ends up serving more as like a temporary fort and staging ground for movements of these armies rather than a defensible position. They take it, they, you know, they supply up and then they leave. And that's kind of what ends up happening, which is bad if you're the Lord of Harrenhal. You don't want to be that guy. Um, in addition, when we're talking about where Harrenhal is, well, Jaehaerys I built the King's Road right past Harrenhal, and it sits at the center of a lot of major land routes. The King's Road, the Gold Road, and the High Road, they all meet in the Harrenhal area at the end of the crossroads, which is not that far away. So most armies would like to take the roads. So when they do, they will most likely pass Harrenhal, and they will probably take it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a McMansion. Um, and it's, the land around it is super valuable. Haraway's town, Derry, um, the Trident itself, there's lots of trade that goes up and down there, so it's valuable land you can't defend. And then, at this point is proven even more that the only other places we learn that are built on the God's Eye are destroyed almost instantly. White Walls is destroyed 
not long after its construction by Blood Raven tearing it down following the second Blackfire Rebellion. And there's a town on the south side that Duncan Egg um, pitched a boat right on to the other side. And by the time we get to the current timeline, those are... That town is gone. There's nothing left. So... In this, in, when you're thinking about who held it, the money, and that they don't have the incomes and they don't have the vassals to hold it, the, like, you don't need a curse to explain this. It makes sense why nobody can help, hold it. The people being given it don't have the ability to take advantage of the castle. If it was given instead to the Lord Paramount, like Baelish is, Baelish actually has a really good chance if he survives A Song of Ice and Fire, which he won't, being named Lord Paramount of the Riverlands and holding Harrenhal and his immense trade wealth that he could actually utilize Harrenhal in some way, but that's not happening. So is there, so let's get to some of these questions. Um, we got a half hour to go. I got a bunch of questions uh, loaded up from my patrons and Twitter and YouTube, but also you guys just start throwing them out there and um We'll work through them in this last half hour. Um, uh, so Stephen Stark, uh, one of my patrons, very sweet man over at Here Be Dragons, he asks, is the curse even a real thing? Um, there's a precedent to believe it. How sure are you really? I'm skeptic by nature. I'm not, I'm not 100% uh, convinced it's real. So... The reason the houses keep losing it, I don't think is tied to a curse, but there may be a curse in the same way that the night fort is cursed or in the same way that Winterfell is this haunted, spooky place that the children of the forest and the green seers continue to have an interest in this place and they watch it and maybe they mess with the minds of the people there. But that's separate from the economic and tactical factors that make it implausible to hold after Aegon's destruction. Um, Bernie was talking about this earlier, but you know, like what what is what we're talking about a curse? Like what are we even talking about? Like a, an evil spell cast on them? We haven't really seen spells. We've seen we've seen skin changing. We've seen dream invasion. We've seen shadow babies. No one like casting a spell like in other fantasy books. So if there's a curse, I really do think it's connected to the children of the forest paying attention to the area around the Isle of Faces. Um, and the stories we get about how the fact that you can't reach the Isle of Faces by boat because you get blown away or attacked by ravens really leads to this point that there's two separate things going on. You go to Harrenhal and you go to the area, the children will mess with you, but that's not why people keep losing it. Um... And this is probably a very similar idea to why people think the Night Forge is cursed and that they think it's an evil place. It's probably the same idea of like these psychically charged areas with weird, with lots of weirwoods and a lot of history around them. Maybe like hinges of the world as Melisandre talks about, but definitely that these are centers of children of the forest magic, that kind of thing. Oh. Um, was Danny cursed by Miri Mazdor, says uh, Bernie. No, I don't think that was like a curse. I think that was Miri Mazdor because the question that was being asked was basically, when will she see Drogo again? And Miri Mazdor, as she's about to die, thinks of a theatrical way to say, absolutely never. <laughs> um, 
she just lists a bunch of impossible things not like and also like when will she have a child again Miriam Asdor is saying never because Drogo's dead and she's also being mean about it because she's about to die so like I think that's what's going on there um Tubbs 1971 uh who held Hall for the 16 years of Robert's rule that his house went um they continue to held it after Robert's rebellion uh, they ended up giving it up to Tywin when he came calling with his 20,000 troops. Um, Guilty Undertaker uh, says, would you say that with Harrenhal, George is making a point that castles are meaningless without the small folk to sustain them? Absolutely. Um, a title is nothing without loyalty. Being the Lord Paramount of the North means nothing if nobody will follow you. It's the same lesson we're seeing with uh, Roos and Ramsey after Ned's death, that it's not enough to just hold the titles legally or with an army over time your vassals will throw you off if they hate you um and that it's it's very important to not be hair in the black um oh good question i was gonna this is something i was gonna talk about john so says how did howling cross the lake then well i think we can assume that has something to do with his connection to the children of the forest and his the fact that his child's a green seer or a dreamer green dreamer or something like that that they allowed howling to arrive yeah nobody likes the boltons you gotta have more than armies and conquest the whole region Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, Koi Venazi, a castle does not make a king. That's exactly correct. Joffrey is, I mean, we see that dramatically with Joffrey and Tywin. Joffrey's not the king, Tywin's the king. Um, all of his power comes from Tywin Lannister. So. Um, let's see here. Oh, Eric uh, Forig, one of my patrons, always a um, an excellent question asker. What do you think will occur at these locations in future books? Are we going to get dragon battles at the God's Eye, Euron ruling from Harrenhal, the final White Walker battle at Harrenhal, Littlefinger returning there with Sansa? And there was a question before the stream started about, like, will this be where King Bran will rule from? And this was something I was really excited about with the show when they released that trailer with the fire and ice meeting at Hall and the Trident, and that being where all the battles would happen. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. I, I, the, it's set up that we may get a dragon battle over the God's Eye. That has happened so many times in, in the history that maybe that George is probably leading up to that. I'm not sure if the White Walkers get that far south, though. Um, if they get that far south, it's because they have effectively ended the north there's nobody left they have to get by winterfell they have to get by um the neck through the twins all the way down to the to the god's eye at that point they will have essentially exterminated half of westeros i'm not sure that's going to happen um but it would be very dramatic especially because the god's eye in heron hall and the isle faces is so important to this child of the forest human um dichotomy and conflicts that we see are still coming up and the fact that like alice rivers was there and all this other good stuff so 
I'm not sure. I don't think Littlefinger will ever step foot in Harrenhal. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to die having never gone to his holdings. Um, Euron ruling from Harrenhal? No, I think he would rather rule from the Red Keep with a dragon. Um, that would be my, my expectation for Euron. Although I can imagine that he may start ordering the chopping down of, of Weirwoods because he's, he's on such a kick about like, there's no gods and the gods don't do anything. They don't punish me. It would be interesting if he chopped down all the Weirwoods to dare them and then ends up dying. Um, yeah, Aaron, I remember I made a, a whole post about it. And then uh, actually Alt-Shift-X made a video where he referenced the thing I wrote about it. I think that was for Watchers on the Wall. And boy, did we whiff on that one. That was, that was not correct. <laughs> uh, Carlio King says, in regards to where people listen and watch your podcast, started listening on your prison, in your prison cell, smuggled smartphone late at night. Whoa. Now you're out and listening on your commute. Well, I'm glad you're, you got out of jail. That is dedication to listening to me. Holy crap. Um, I'm glad you didn't get in trouble for that. Uh, Stephanie Frederick. Hey, how's it going? Not well, we got 15 minutes left or so. So, um, let's see here. Let's scroll up a little bit. Yeah, Carl Carl Snark. Heron Hall is the 78 Camaro on cinder blocks in the front yard of Westeros. That's right. It is, if you have the money and the time, you could fix it up nice and it would be amazing, but nobody that has been given it has the money or the resources to do it. Um, no, House Went was not cursed. Um... Oh, there was a good question on YouTube. Uh, oh, wait, no, on Twitter. Um, wait, where was this? Uh, the Weirwood Throne on Twitter, otherwise known as Curtsy While You Tweet. Uh, somebody said this further up in the chat. Uh, love to know what you think about the source of the magic of curse comes from. I already talked about that, but drawing from your Weirwood theory, it could be a particular green seer under the godswood. Or maybe it stems from the weird beams and the use in the castle's construction, making a conduit. So this is an old theory, the first one I put up on YouTube, where I talked about how I thought that weirwoods were grown from corpses, kind of like you see in um, Orson Scott Card series. Um, in uh, I think it's it's one of the future ones. I think it's children of the mind maybe that you learn about this it's the pequinos where essentially when they die they turn into trees and it's i think that's kind of what's going on with the weirwoods the fact that they all have these weirdly unique faces that kind of look like the people that live there i think george's and the idea there's also um some other logic i put in there about how like people bury people get buried within a song of ice and fire with like tree seeds and i think that's sort of calling back to the idea that the trees well we know they're literally alive we know that they do contain green seers and their souls but they may be grown from a person being sacrificed in like in a blood sacrifice way and then the face that's carved is literally theirs so who could be super angry and buried in the um <clears throat> the heron hall godswood well it'd be a really old tree because heron just built around it so it'd be interesting if that was like that face was maybe 
somebody that was sacrificed or maybe an Andal king. That'd be super interesting if like one of the Andals that tried to take the Isle of Faces, they that they ended up killing him and turn him into a weirwood. Oh, two more to go for the Gurm hat, so slam that like button. And then, uh, we'll go full Gurm on this one. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that's a good question. I do love thinking about, like, even if it's not true, just like the head cannons of who exactly is each, um, oh, we got it. Okay. <laughs> who exactly is each Weirwood is super interesting. Like, in particular, the Winterfell Weirwood looks like a Stark. Like, it, it looks like them. And at times, when, when Bran's looking out of it, I mean, obviously, it literally is him, but it'd be interesting if the Stark look, it goes all the way back, and that's, like, Bran the Builder or something. All right. <laughs> there we go. Got the Grim hat on. Uh, we were talking about this in the patron slack last night, though, but I'm glad I have better style than Gurm, because, oof, those old pictures of him wearing this hat are not great. That guy had a terrible beard and like long gross hair for quite a long time um keeping it a little fresher <laughs> uh thank you guys for getting us for slamming that like button um uh, bernie says she went to search a song uh, a search of ice and fire first use of curse is tearing for a small man he has been cursed with a dangerously big mouth hmm, i didn't know that that's a cool one um yeah Gurm has cool hats, but I am not going to go full Gurm. I'm not, but I am very happy with my Westerosi Bar Association shirt and whatever kind of shirts I produce coming up. Um, when we, uh, when I launched the new stuff, me and San Richie have been looking at, that'll pro probably be what I wear for a while. Also, um, Sanri's coming out with something very special. Uh, a new sh a new couple of shirts so keep your eyes out for that her own uh, her own designs not only for not a cast um but her own and they're gonna be really cool um never go full germ yeah um okay let's see here yeah i should remake that one i could do a better job it was like 45 minutes and it was basically a slideshow um so i could just remake it I deleted it because of the asshole who was reading the uh, the quotes on it. Let's well, I didn't delete. It. I still have it, but it's just private. Um, uh, Josh Barker says, "Do you think Westeros houses correlate to American political parties? I kind of think libertarians." like the free folk but i'm not sure on the others um most of the western houses would be conservatives very hard conservatives far right people um feudalism does not reward egalitarian ideas does not reward socialism or anything liberal they are very far right um especially with their understandings of religion and marriages and their control over women all these other kind of things are extremely conservative values so <laughs> The fee folk are probably as close as you get to, um, yeah, women cannot inherit. There's no rights for, um, for peasants. There's very little rights for the middle class. There basically isn't a middle class. Um, Westeros, not, not any, like just as far right as you can get. That's what Westeros is. Um, 
Oh, uh, super chat here from Aaron M. Thanks you so much, Aaron. Uh, $20. Very, very generous. Loving the spooky Saturday stream. Yeah, I'm in the mood after Meat House, man. Uh, what do you think after Aegon? Why do you think after Aegon, more castles didn't work to fortify themselves against the dragon? Seems like it would have been the thing to do just in case. Um, I imagine the reason they didn't is they didn't even know how. And if they did, if like Aegon and the rest of the Targaryen, um, the rest of the Targaryen dragon riders and kings throughout time learn they were building dragon defenses, they probably would have showed up and forced them to be removed. Um, although we do know that there's only one house that is a known dragon slayer, and that is um, House Will, I think. Let me check on this. Meraxes. She was, Meraxes was shot down over Hellholt. So that is House Oler. I'm sorry, the Olers and Hellholt is where Meraxes was shot down by Scorpion. So anyone that was building defenses, they would probably try and get rid of. But yeah, that's kind of how it goes. Um, yeah, and the knowledge of even how to do it would be probably beyond most of the lords. They seem to essentially enjoy fighting and like pitch battles. They're not much for technology and that kind of thing. So. Oh yeah, the cell, the small folk, that's true. They killed quite a lot in the uh in the dragon pit. Who's going to build those scorpions? Not that many. Um Let's grab another one here. Um Stephen Starkey also wanted to speculate how the curse might affect Littlefinger. And um, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but basically Littlefinger is in the best position out of anyone that's ever held Harrenhal to actually be able to evade the quote unquote curse because he understands economics. He is Lord a Paramount of the Riverlands at this point, and he has his own personal wealth. So if you ever decided to rule from Harrenhal, you'd probably be the closest to successful that there's ever been because i mean master of coin lord paramount also lord protector of the veil he has the resources to do it so probably not that much although there's unclear what the green series would think of Littlefinger. Uh, they might mess with his med his head quite a bit for his actions in the war of the five kings and also what he did to the starks and the uh, old god supporters out there <laughs> Yeah, not much in the middle class. Um, no suspenders, I'm sorry. Not doing it. Um, uh, Lady Rosalind Valarian. Is that, is that like a canon character? I don't remember a Los Rosalie. That's a good name. Uh, will Melisandre do an Alice River style magical deed at Heron Hall? There is really interesting overlaps between um, Melisandre and Alice Rivers. For instance, Alice Rivers apparently saw visions and flames. There's the story of the um, messenger that left Harrenhal that had the um, the marks around his neck like he'd been strangled, which makes you think of shadow babies. Um, her role in Aim with Aemon One Eye seems very similar to Melisandre's role with Stannis. Um, so I would be interested in seeing if, um, maybe that's why we don't have the rest of Alice Rivers, that George is going to write it in the Winds of Winter and whatnot. Um, 
Scorpions say, get over here. Oh my god, you guys. <laughs> Wrong kind of scorpion. They're not putting up Mortal Kombat uh, people all around the rim and throwing out, what are they, uh, their kunais on rope and then pulling them back in. Come on. Although that probably would be pretty effective now that I'm thinking about it. Um, what's what if Alice Rivers is Melisandre? Oh, that's some tinfoil. Um, let's see here from YouTube. Actually, we're just talking about this. Lindsay RH says, I'm always conflating in my head Alice Rivers and the pregnant woman in Brands We Were Dream. What's with the parallels? Some Woods Witch kind of connection. I think that's exactly what's going on. I talked that talked about that in my House Strong video where, um, that I think George was trying to signal not only a connection between the Starks and the Strongs, um, I mean, the names are basically cognates of each other, and in German, Strong is literally translated as Stark, but I think it's trying to clue the readers in a little bit more that the things going around Harrenhal are less, like, curse-like, but they're old gods-like. That's the Green Seers, it's the um, it's Blood Raven, it's Bran, it's um, kind of a resurgence of old god magic within the world. Um, and also, which if you think about it in a way, is interesting that it links Melisandre to Alice Rivers, who is ostensibly an avatar of the old gods. So kind of a linking of the magical powers. <laughs> I uh, just got a few minutes left, so um, any other questions you guys want to throw at me? Um, now would be the time. Um, actually, let me check PayPal, see if I got anything. I always forget to do this. To, uh, I mean, there's the super chats and the stickers that show up on the stream, but PayPal's a lot harder to um, to keep track of. It doesn't really pop up on my phone correctly. Okay, so Dane McKay and Ramona. Okay, so those are the ones I already got. Cool, cool, cool. Um... Uh, Flinted Steels asked, what do you believe is the purpose of Harrenhal in regards to the Long Night? I am unsure about this because, as I said earlier, um, how much, I don't know if the others are going to get that far south. That would be an extreme success story for them, and it would essentially wipe out most of the North. And I don't know if George is going to essentially depopulate the North by like 95%. Um, like the the entirety of it on the way down. It also means that Winterfell's dead and any sort of defense there would be gone. Although I have speculated in the past that the Winterfell crypts are going to, um, the dead are going to rise. So I think they're definitely going to make it to Winterfell. I don't know if they're going to get beyond it. Um... But I wouldn't be surprised if the ending of A Song of Ice and Fire with Bran and the um, the rise of the old god magic and him as king has more to do with Harrenhal in the god's eye than, um, than what happened in the show. The show version was very um, abbreviated. They just kind of did a smash cut to Bran being king and Tyrion's speech and that's it. Um, I imagine it will be, George will be more involved when he gets to that point. And the idea that he is a green seer we played up a lot more. Although there is um, old caves around the Red Keep, um, I believe in some of the hills around there, so never know. Um, uh, Stephen, Stephen Ellis? Stephen Ellis, why do I know that name? 
Steven Ellis. Isn't that the name of a professional League of Legends player? I forget his name. I think that's it. Um, do you think that glass candles are synonymous with the towers at Harrenhal? Both cannot burn many think. Um, and then when they do it is around with magics and uh, dragons being around. Um, are they synonymous? Was that literally a glass candle? Well, the, the imagery is very, very similar. Um, and obsidian, which is what glass candles are made of, are also heavily associated with the children of the forest. We know they make their daggers from it and their spearheads and um, that kind of thing. If it's anything, I'm guessing that it's just serving to link together um, the different sorts of magic that George, that they are not separate, that they are just kind of linked in the same way, that the difference between ice magic and fire magic is um, more down to like personal taste or what you've been taught rather than like the true idea behind it because there's that moment where Melisandre sees Bran and Bloodraven through the flames and she also note she notes that they look back and they see her which means that somehow Melisandre through her flames is able to connect to the Weirwoods and Bran and Bloodraven which is implies that there's sort of a um, a connection between them yeah I think Stephen Ellis is the name of an old jungler for evil geniuses in League of Legends um, do you have any theories on when, which houses were given, which house gave the different towers their names? Um, so there is some details about this. I just kind of sp uh, skipped it over. Let me pull them up real fast because I don't remember them offhand. Uh, so the Widow's Tower, I believe that's where Reyna lived and that's why it was named that. Um, the King's Pyre Tower is, I believe that's where Heron was with his sons. Um... Yeah, I think that's why I think that's why it's called the King's Pyre Tower. That's where he was when Balerion uh, burned it down. The Tower of Dread and the Wailing Tower and the Tower of Ghosts to seem to speak to how spooky they are. Um, it, I don't know if those have any sort of like special naming convention. Oh, I just I have the the pages open. I also have my doc, so I don't remember all of this offhand. I spent most of the morning um, and last night getting the document together and researching and figuring out what I was going to say. So, yeah, this is prepared, more or less. <laughs> um, I enjoy interacting with the chat, but the stuff I'm going to say, I already know ahead of time. Actually, my patrons know that because they have access to the, uh, the, the outline. I always post it before I go live, so that kind of thing. Um, let's see here. Oh, the, the League of Legends name. Well, that's because I was a big Evil, evil Geniuses um, a fan. That was my favorite team back when I used to pay attention. Um, Tower of Dread, just because how nice it is. True. Very true. Hashtag true. <laughs> Lemmy B says, ending of the show made me wonder, what is Brand's tax policy? It was too good for to be true for him. Kind of goes against what Gurm wants in an ending. Uh, well... That's the sort of like the story beat of 
Bran being king in the end. Although it does work in some level that in a lot of his stories, and in particular Tough Voyaging, uh, spoilers for Tough Voyaging. If you have, if um you want to skip ahead while you're watching or cover your ears, at the end, one of the big things that happens in Tough Voyaging is that the uh, George likes the idea of technocrats which is or the idea of the person ruling because they have um the best ability to do so uh that's essentially the story of tough of haviland tough and also the um the planet they're trying to fix in the last story i honestly forget the name um it's been a while since i read it but it's essentially the same idea where george oftentimes has these supernatural um figures who have access to magic or technology beyond anyone else who have the greatest ability to rule being the ones that they do um and bran at some point will probably have the knowledge of the weirwoods um i actually made a video about this like is it a good or a bad thing that bran will become king and essentially he's going to be a tyrant and the question is is he a good tyrant is because like there, there's that quote about how the best form of government is a benevolent tyrant. And the question will be over time, is he the benevolent tyrant who has um, total knowledge over any, everything? Is he setting him on the golden path like um, Leto Atreides, I think is his name from Dune? Or is he going to be more evil? Or is he going to like destroy society to bring back the children of the forest? I imagine that will be George's epilogue. That's, that's also what we get from Tough Voyaging. The end of it is ambiguous with a, um, essentially with an epilogue about what Tough did in the end, which was a very tough choice. <laughs> oh, that's right, Lady Leaf. Uh, patrons may know if they want to look before the stream. I'm guessing some of you do look at it afterwards um, to see what I wrote, but... Uh, you guys are allowed to follow around if you subscribe to my Patreon. Leto second. Yeah, that's right. I have never actually read Dune. I just know the, um, I know the, uh, the broad strokes of the story. I've thought about it, but I've got other books I'm trying to get through, to be honest. I'm trying to get through The Witcher, and I've got to get through The Expanse. Um, what other ones? I also bought the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe and Shakespeare. Here, these are the Witcher books coming next. I have to read. They had a, a little set for me. I'm still working through the first one, The Last Wish. Um, to be honest, I like The Last Wish more than the show. I, th I think it's a, a better look inside, um, inside the head of Geralt. Uh, let's see here. One, let's take one or two last questions and we'll get out of here. Um, already grabbed those. Oh, um, so the Roos is loose on Twitter. Griff, with a bunch of numbers after it, says Sansa's connection to Harrenhal because of the bat symbol in her chapters and relation to uh, Manissa Went. So they just wanted me to talk about that. So there's been... Ever since Mad Donnell Lawson, there's been, and also we learned from Alice Rivers, this idea that there are a lot of witches that have ruled Harrenhal, that a woman holding it becomes evil and, and witch-like and magical in some way. Um, Mad Donnell Lawson, it's unclear if she had any kind of magic, but 
people certainly thought she did. Alice Rivers, they definitely thought she did, and she probably actually did have some kind of magic. Um, and it's almost like a an old god priestess kind of figure. And this is something that's carried over to Sansa. There's a there's a when she flees King's Landing, there's a story that she turned into a wolf with bat wings or something like that. Interestingly, not a wolf fish hybrid, which you would expect since she's a Stark and a Tully. Um, but instead, it's this idea calling back to her roots through House Went. Um, because uh, Manissa Went, I believe, is married to Hoster Tully. So George is sort of playing up the idea. And also that's where the red hair supposedly comes from. Well, maybe. Tully's, I think, are, have been redheads for a while, but the Wents were too. And so what does that mean in terms of Sansa? I think it's, it, it's hard to say because the only real, there's two characters we know from House Went, really. We know uh, Mad, well, not even House Went. Mad Donnell is the wrong house. I'm sorry. So House Went is we get Oswald Went, who, has, who disappeared and, well, he pretty much, he died at the Tower of Joy, but um, some people think he's still alive. Wait, let me double check this. <laughs> Hoster, I feel like I'm talking out my ass, so I want to give this a double shot. Um, so Hoster Toy was married to Minnesota Went. Um, not really stated what kind of hair she had, just that she looks like Catelyn, and Catelyn looks like, and Sansa looks like Catelyn, so that kind of makes sense. Um, Yeah, we get Oswell went, we get Minissa went, and we don't really see anyone else except for those characters. Um, it could it could just be um an idea that George is playing on that he wants you to pay attention to the Greenseer or the um old god side of the Starks. Like for instance, Rob also gets the same kind of ideas that um yeah, the I'm sorry, uh, Mad Donnell had red hair. I don't know if House Went did. Um but we're, when you're thinking about Sansa in the same way that Rob is described as turning into basically a werewolf when he's with um, Grey Wind, it gives you, it's, it's calling attention again to the idea that Sansa and the Northerners are seen as outsiders. They're seen as these lingering ideas and prejudices against uh, skin changers. Um, and it's a way for those from the South to mark them as different, that kind of thing. Um, but also it, it kind of calls attention to Sansa having, nobody says this about Arya as far as I know, and it seems to be a thing to call attention to the fact that Sansa, um, even though she never grew up there, has kind of a strong connection to Riverlands, and maybe at some point she'll cross paths with Harnall. It would be super interesting if Baelish, I mean, we know he did it in the show, but he didn't do this in the books where he went to Harrenhal. So it would be interesting if on their way north, uh, presumably to help with the War for the Dawn or to unseat the Boltons, that they stop by Harrenhal, and maybe it's brought up that Sansa has heritage within, um, through the Wentz there. Um, should be kind of cool it's but it's also noted that the the bat connection for the lostins and also the wentz is not really related to like skin changers 
like Mad Danelle, definitely they were inferring she was a skin changer with her behavior, but they took their sigils because Harrenhal's full of like thousands of bats because a lot of it's unoccupied. So bats have moved in. Um, it's unlike other houses where you hear like the Starks where their their sigil is the direwolf because of their connect their warg background. It's not really explicit. That's what's going on with the Lostons and the Wentz, especially since the the Wentz took theirs. It's a take on the Lostin sigil because they were a knightly house. Uh, it's kind of like the relationship between the Kerwins. Oh no, not the Kerwins. Um, House Stark vassals. Give me a second. Uh, there's the Cassells. The Cassells have a um, their sigil is actually ten weirwood he weirwood heads. Yeah, ten weirwood heads on a gray field, which is a take on the Starks um, on their on their sigil. So the relationship between the Wentz and the Lawson seems to be not related, but it's um, emphasizing the connection between thems and their lords, which is what happened with the Lawsons and the Wentz. Yeah, ten wolf heads. Uh, there's quite a yeah, correct Dornish Dame. There's quite a lot of Riverlanders that have red hair. There's also the Coningtons who have their distinctive red hair, and there's also well, it was the Castamirs before they died. Uh, how did House Losting get created? They were a knightly house that was um, granted... Wait, let me double check this. <laughs> house Losting. Lucas Losting, a knightly house, he was given it um, after sometime after Alice Rivers lost control, so they were an upjunt knightly house. Um, they took on the bat as their sigil because of Harrenhal. You see a lot of the similar stuff like Haraway's sigil was Harrenhal on fire. House Towers was a bunch of towers, which makes you think of the five towers of Harrenhal. So a lot of these nightly houses decided they would take on some aspect of Harrenhal as their personal identity. Uh, Bat gave me the God's Eye. Oh, maybe that's where Batman is. Um, oh, yeah, uh, we've gone a little bit over. Uh, so 4.15. There's no Radio Westeros today, unfortunately. Uh, they're going to a bi-weekly schedule. Um, so catch them next week. I know Yoke Boy was here earlier watching. But yeah, uh, thanks so much, you guys, for um, for hanging out for a couple hours here on this Saturday. Uh, talking all about Hall and the curse. There is no curse. If there... <laughs> the curse of why no one can hold it has nothing to do with the quote-unquote curse, but I am sure that people that live there have their minds messed with by the children, that kind of thing. Um, so make sure, like, subscribe. If you're watching this on replay, leave a comment. Um, if you're watching, if you're listening to this on the audio version, um, leave a review or a like or on whatever it is your platform, um, especially on iTunes, that really helps with them going out. Um, you can subscribe on Patreon if you want to support me. Uh, the $5 level gets you access to the upcoming Meat House Man episode and also the uh, private Slack. And um, I'm actually going to put out a all these um, title cards I've been using. I'm going to put those out as high-res versions uh, for backgrounds and stuff if you want them. I, I originally said on Patreon that it would be for uh, if you wanted versions of uh, Mallory's artwork that she does for the the title cards of the videos but um 
she doesn't really do that anymore because my, our schedules don't really work and she's busy with other stuff. So I'm going to try and put out these kind of things as much higher res versions if you want to use them. I may swap the art with the new one too, the one that's coming out soon. Um, what's coming out next? Obviously the Meat House Man episode. I'm going to be talking about my next video will be, well, it's going to be a two-parter, but the first part's going to be what is the five-year gap? And the second one will be about what is the identity of the, of the tattered prince. Um, also, as always, if you want, uh, as well as Patreon, uh, support me through um, Super Chat, Super Stickers, PayPal, all those other kind of things. Thanks very much to everyone that did. Um, it was Aaron M., Sanrixian, Ramona Z., my uh, Seneschal patron, and um, Danny McKay. Oof. So yeah, that's it. Have a good uh, weekend, everybody. Look for all that stuff coming up and uh, stay safe out there. I know there's a, a lot of crazy things going on. Have a good weekend.